millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks. Welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have episode 206. Tonight, we have three great listener questions that we're going to answer. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read the first question. So this is a bit long, so bear with me for just a moment. So I have, hello, Andrew. I am a 24-year-old who has just started becoming interested in investing over the last two months. Your podcast has helped me learn so much and continues to add to my curiosity. I have just finished my first year working. I realized I should start caring more about what I save. I recently told my dad that I wanted to add $5,000 of savings and start contributing an additional $200 a month to buy a stock in a Roth IRA account. He had me open when I was 18 with $700 and never touched until a month ago. He immediately told me I should not do that, and I never listened to him. He says that I am wasting the tax advantages offered by putting non-taxed money from my paycheck into my 401k account. Instead, he told me to buy stock through that account. I've been looking into it, and my company 401k only offers different choices of funds, not individual stocks. What is my best options for the accounts to use? I have quickly found myself paralyzed about which road to take. The same way I was before, I learned how investing works and the concepts I never fully understood. Should we continue to contribute to our 401ks, only investing in funds until reaching the maximum contrib- contributions, then worry about adding to the outside IRA in later years? This seems easy and safe, but the concept of dividends has me itching to get. I like to start collecting stock in a portfolio to begin the second form of income I can use in 30 to 35 years. Do you think investing $5,000 in a market with an additional $200 a month is a better option than increasing our 401k contributions? Would continue our 10% in the 401ks? 
Thank you, Eric. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Eric's uh, very astute question and kind of comical? <laughs> very astute, comical. And I'm glad he's itching for dividends because mm-hmm. I'm right there with you and you are in the right camp. So a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, if you're doing a 401k, you are going to get dividends. Most likely, as long as you're picking a fund that has stocks in it, you're going to get dividends. So don't worry about that. Number two, whether you pick a 401k or an IRA, in this case, he talked about a Roth IRA. So if you're picking a Roth IRA, regardless of which IRA you pick, you're still getting tax advantages. The difference is that you have tax advantages now or you have tax advantages in the future. So with a Roth, you pay the taxes now. So it's true you don't get a tax advantage now, but you get the advantage that all of your gains are never taxed. Whereas a regular 401k, you get the tax advantage now, but when you take out at the end, you're going to pay capital gains tax on those. So you can't evade the tax man with everything, unfortunately. You're going to have to pick your poison. And so that's really what you want to do relates to that. And you get into all sorts of discussions of what's my tax rate today? What's it going to be like when I retire? What are the tax rates for the country going to be when I retire? We could go on and on. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you what I did when I first started in my career when I was 20, so long ago, I don't remember, (laughs) 23, we'll call it 23. So a good rule of thumb, one I've heard circled around a lot and I really prescribed to it was number one, if your company that you work for offers you a 401k match, take full advantage of that match 100% because if you put in a dollar and the company gives you a dollar, that's a 100% return on your money. You're not going to get that in the stock market. You could get in the stock market, but it could also go away really quickly too. So if you want something that's reliable and safe, you can't go anywhere better than that. So do that first. What I did once I reached my match was I took and I wanted to max out my Roth. And that was because I saw the value in allowing my basically capital gains to all be, to to not have to deal with capital gains in the future, to not have to deal with, I was okay with paying the taxes now on my income in order to not pay capital gains tax in the future. And we just recently episode on capital gains we went a little bit into the weeds on that. So that might be valuable to listen to as well. But keep that in mind. If that makes sense for you, then you max out the IRA. Then after that, you can always go back. After you've maxed out the IRA, you can go back and add some more to your 401k until you max that out too. And then finally, if you get to that point where you've maxed the 401k, you've maxed the IRA, then you can go into a regular brokerage account and you'll have to pay taxes on that. I get the wanting to pick stocks for yourself. Trust me, I'm all there. I'm all about the Roth IRA. When it comes to a match, you really can't be the match. And then when it comes to the question between a 401k or a Roth, which one do I put more money towards? It really comes down to you and how you feel about when you want to pay taxes and what part of that is is of most value to you. And that's what it comes down to, I think. I agree. It definitely comes down to that. And the, the idea of the, the, the tax advantage accounts, what Andrew was saying is really the whole crux of the idea is you either pay Uncle Sam now or you pay Uncle Sam later. And the classic advice or rule of thumb, the younger you are, the more 
financial advisors recommend starting with a Roth. So Eric mentioned that he was 24, 25. And so that would be a classic time to start a Roth IRA to take advantage of that. A lot of people don't re- understand this too. With your 401k, you have the option of choosing a Roth as well as a traditional. So you could choose both. You could choose, you could split the money if you want, or you could just choose a Roth with your IRA as well. Or I'm sorry, with your 401k. So you have additional options. So the, the 401k is not just a static option. You have the choice of choosing a 401. You have the choice of choosing a Roth or traditional. Sorry, I'm mixing up all my metaphors today. So you, you have other options. And as far as the questions about the tax rates now and in the future, none of us know what the future is going to hold. And I think you need to try to figure out what's going to work best for you now and worry about what's going to happen 30 or 40 years from now when 30 or 40 years happen, because we very well could be paying, we all could be paying 90 percent tax rates or we could all not be paying taxes at all. Who knows? And so I, I think trying to hedge your bets now versus then, especially when you're younger, like Eric is, you have so much time for all that money to accumulate with n- not having to worry about taxes 30 or 40 years from now, then going the other route and, and worrying about what the tax rate's going to be when you start to take your required minimum withdrawals when you reach retirement age, which could go up right now. I believe it's 65, but that could, they could raise that to 68 or 70 by the time Eric is ready to retire, which will have further implications on how much money you could possibly owe, what the tax rate may be for you when you retire. So there's lots of other things to consider. I guess. I would go the route of the Roth, and that's what I chose to do as well. The financial advisor that I work with at Wells Fargo, that's what he recommended to me for both my 401k as well as my individual accounts, just because of the nature of what I was wanting to do. And as far as the choices that you have in the 401k, every company is going to be different. So Eric was mentioning that he didn't really have a lot of choices, and that can be typical. I know that when I was at Wells Fargo, I believe we had about, I think it was about 10 ETF slash index funds to choose from. We also had some international funds to choose from. We had a few bond funds to choose from. And then we had target date funds to choose from. So we had a bit of, we had a bit of choice. Uh, and our most of all of our match was paid in Wells Fargo stock. So I got individual stock from that. Every company is going to be different and you, it's, you need to do your due diligence on that aspect of it. But like Andrew was saying, most of these funds are going to pay a dividend. So you're going to get the benefit of that dividend, even in the 401k. So if you're really itching to get the dividends, but maybe you don't want to pick individual stocks, then a 401k would be a great option for you as well. But I wholeheartedly agree and if you've heard me talk about any anything over the last four years on the podcast, if you don't take that match, I'm going to come through this microphone and, and strangle you. That's 100% return. That's free money. You, you got to do it. If it's 3% or if it's 6%, like it was at Wells Fargo, you got to take advantage of that. That's just, that's free money that you're not taking advantage of. And why are you listening to the show if you're not going to take 100% seriously? So you know, absolutely please do that for yourselves because you will thank yourself in 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Great question, Eric. Thank you for writing that in. So Andrew, do you have anything else you'd like to tag on? 
So you're saying investors should not take their match and invest in Tesla stock or stock <laughs> or AMC, AMC, Robinhood, yeah, all those yeah, things. Robin yeah, Hood. Yep, no? Yep. no, 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 <laughs> nope no, you look no. like you're about to come through the screen and strangle me right now i suppose it depends on when you bought the tesla stock and when it where it ended up it was it was pretty ridiculous return there for a while but it's been pretty it's been down i think this year but yeah 100 percent return yeah you can't beat that all right let's move on to the next question all right so i got a question from nate so he has a question. I had a question when it comes to valuing stocks or more or less afterwards. So let's say you come for a company like Apple. Bear in mind that this is just an example, but let's say you see there is an upside potential for the price to be $170. How do you determine when to stop adding to a position? What percentage is a rule of thumb? I know there's no hard and fast rule, but what's a good rule of thumb to follow? Like 15% to 20% below an intrinsic value, more, less? Andrew, what are your thoughts on Nate's idea and his question? I'd like to hear your first take. Oh, I knew you were going to do that to me. Okay. So I guess here's, I, I have two ideas. So the first idea is a margin of safety is always a great way to go. And especially when you're looking at a company that the future is maybe a little bit uncertain or you're not exactly sure what's going on with the company. So Apple is a beast of its own. They are, I believe, the largest market cap in, in the world right now. They've obviously figured out a thing or two. The, I guess the biggest question with Apple is how much longer can the iPhone continue to dominate and what is the potential growth rate of more people getting iPhones. Now, obviously the company has come out with other products. They have the watches and they have the iPads and they also have their MacBooks and all the other great stuff that they're doing. But the, the question, I guess, that I've always had in my head is how much longer can the iPhone continue to be the dominant device? And I've heard people talk about this as one of the greatest inventions in mankind. And I don't know if that I would argue with that, but I guess the question you want to ask about Apple is how much longer can it really continue? And it could, I don't have that answer, but that's a question that I would ask myself if I'm looking at investing in a company like Apple. You could argue that the price that you would pay for Apple right now is probably could be irrelevant because with the largest market cap in the world, one of the arguably best brands out there, one of the best known companies. I think it has a pretty good reputation. People don't seem to be as antagonistic as they are about other companies. Google people seem to get pretty can get pretty upset about the the culture of the company and some of the things that they've done, not done. Microsoft to a certain extent, Amazon can certainly be a a trigger <laughs> for some people. But Apple seems to be universally loved. The App Store thing has caused some angst among people that deal with it. But by and large, the company seems to have a pretty good reputation. So I guess the answer to that question is, for me, I would want to buy something that has a margin of safety. But there's also this idea that Warren Bennett and Charlie Munger and a lot of other investors have talked a lot about is a company that earns great returns on their money. So in other words, every company earns 
income, hopefully. They have choices to do with, they have choices to make with the money that they earn. So they have the options of reinvesting back in a company, whether that's trying to produce new products or whether they're trying to grow revenues, whatever it may be, it's called capital allocation as a term. And really they can pay a dividend. They can pay down any debt they have. They can maybe buy back shares. There's lots of great ways that companies can choose to reinvest in themselves. When they do those things, the idea is that they're trying to grow the company. When you're looking at a company that has great returns on on their capital, the money that they make, the more that those capital returns grow, the idea is that the more the value of the company will grow over a long period of time. And a company like Apple, a company like Microsoft, a company like Google, Facebook, all these companies have these great returns on capital over long periods of time, which is one of the reasons why they've continue to dominate, even when people start to think of them as old school, Microsoft, Facebook to mind recently, their valuations have come down to earth, so to speak, over the last few years, because people think they're boring companies. You could argue either way. But anyway, moving back to Apple is one of those companies that has had great returns on their capital or on their investments over a long period of time. And they've proven to be a really good company. And so Warren Buffett would probably argue that the price you pay is a little less relevant than the return that the company can reinvest itself in over a long period of time. And if you do that, if you pay $170 a share for the company, over 20 years, you're still going to get a great return on that company. And that, that idea plays out in companies like Amazon, Costco, just two that leap to mind. So generally, if a company is really fantastic, like a company like Apple or Microsoft, I don't necessarily get as so excited about the margin of safety. I still want it if I can get it. Like if something happens and all of a sudden the price of Microsoft drops and I can all of a sudden buy it at a discount, yeah, I'm all in. But the flip side of that is you may not ever get that chance. And so I guess you have to balance that idea. And I'd be willing to step out on a limb and buy a company like that with a lesser margin of safety. The flip side of that is if I'm looking at a company that is not as wonderful as somebody like Apple, then I'm going to insist on a bigger margin of safety because I don't feel like that maybe that investment is as good as something like Apple. And you, you always have to weigh the opportunity cost of buying a cheap company that may go up for a little bit and you get a nice return over a few years or paying a little bit more for a company that go give you a great return over 10 or 20 years. So you have to balance that out. And it really comes down to what you're comfortable with and how much risk you're willing to take and how much you think you can handle any sort of fluctuations that will happen in the market and with the company. So I guess that's kind of my idea. I'm now curious to hear what Andrew has to say. As a finance nerd, you would assume that I have my money game all together. Well, shocker, I didn't. Until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things I want to do. It's my GPS for money. 
Monarch is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product. They release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trying to think of like rules of thumb, and there's so much danger in that. But here's what I'll say. I, I agree with Dave in the sense that if we were to make it really simple, because how you perceive the value of a company can get crazy complex. But just to, to be simple, let's use something like the price to earnings ratio, PE ratio. So if I had two companies, and like to Dave's example, one company seems to be a much better company than a second company, then I would want to pay a lower PE ratio for the company that's maybe not as good versus the company that has really great prospects. And so to Dave's point, the less attractive business, probably you want to have a higher margin of safety. And so that's why we can't put a certain number to say, you should buy every company with a margin of safety of 10% or you should buy every company with a margin of safety of 25%. Because if you're looking to buy companies for the long term, that's not a really realistic goal. If you're doing one of these kind of value strategies where you're buying super dirt cheap, you're you're diving into the deep end and you're going for the... You're trying to find cigar butts and you're picking those up. As soon as they rise up to, to fair value, then you're selling them and getting rid of them and you're just constantly churning that boat over and over again, then that's an approach where it's going to be very more conducive to like setting strict rules to say, I'm going to only buy when it's 50%, maybe when it drops down to a 25% margin of safety, I'm out. And then you just do that same process over and over again. 
that's certainly one way to do it. I think when you look at something that's a little more long-term and, and a little more buy and hold and a little more Buffett, even when you talk about Buffett, he used to be like that churner in the beginning. And then as he matured, he became more buy and hold. Then that's where you have to factor in how long do I want to hold this business? How certain am I of the business being able to do well over a long period of time? Some businesses, to me, when I look at a lot of technology businesses, I get really skeptical. Or if I look at even a lot of growth companies, and then if you mix growth companies and technology businesses, I get super, super skeptical because it's these companies haven't even decided who the leader is yet. And then you already want to say you're going to hold it for 10 years, but you don't even know if they're the leader yet. There's so many other businesses that are already the leader in what they do. It's already established of why people like them. And people already have their buying habits with them. And so that's much easier investment for me to make. But it all comes down to choosing between what are my opportunities today? Because every day it's going to be a little bit different. So you got to fish where the fish are, take where your opportunities are, wherever they are, and then weigh the alternatives and, and maybe try to think, can I bring some humility to it too? So if we think about somebody like Warren Buffett, even when he looked at buying American Express, and this was like his first grand slam investment, one of his first, was they had a big scandal. American Express dropped, what, 20, 50%, I think they dropped. Yeah. And Buffett knew like this was as much of a slam dunk as you could get. But he still had the humility to say, I'm not going to put all my money into this. I'm going to put 40%, which is a huge percentage, by the way, but I'm going to put 40% of my money into American Express because I'm going to leave a small chance that I'm wrong. So he had the humility to look at his portfolio in that way. And so when we look at what we think a company's intrinsic value is, I think we need to bring humility into that and the fact that maybe we'd be wrong. And so not only do you have to think about what's the right margin of safety for me, you have to think about, am I leaving the margin of safety in that I have enough diversification in my portfolio so that if I'm wrong about what I think Apple's worth or if I'm wrong about what I think Facebook is worth, whatever those companies are, as long as you spread out your bets enough. And even I like the idea of spreading it out over time. Maybe you really like Apple. I would prefer to see an investor maybe buy one one year, buy some more a year after, buy some more a year after that. Some of the best investments, they don't just go to the moon and you missed out. They just continue to do what they do for long periods of time. So I think uh, the more you learn, the more the more you get comfortable with the businesses, the more skills you get at analyzing what your comfortable margin of safety is. And the more humility you have, I think the better off your results will be. And for a rule of thumb, maybe that's less of a rule of thumb and more like a rule of many hands. But hopefully that gives you some insight into what kind of things to think about when you're trying to determine a margin of safety. Yeah, those are those are all great insights. And I think the idea of having Rules of thumb are a great way to give you a framework, but the as you gain more experience and as you start to learn more about how the different businesses work and how the different industries work and accounting and valuation and, and a lot of these things, you'll start to appreciate that every company is, when you start analyzing a company, every time you step into that arena, it's like you're 
learning something new all over again. And it may be that you are embracing an idea about a certain company. I'll just pick one. Let's say Walmart. And you're learning about how Walmart does their business and how they operate and the financials and their culture and all these different aspects that you take into account. You may think, you may decide that, hey, I really like where this company is going and I really like this. But then you start learning about some of their competitors. You start learning about Amazon and you start learning about Target and anybody else that may compete with, with Walmart. And you start learning about how those companies operate. And maybe you like a little bit of what Target does versus the other two. And maybe a little bit of what Amazon does compared to the other two. And just because you decide that you really like Walmart doesn't mean you can't like other things about those other companies. And it also doesn't mean that you can't maybe down the road because you learned about one company that you pick up an investment in another company, because sometimes they offer different options and they also offer different opportunities. But I think the idea of you have to buy a low and you have to sell high, obviously that's the ideal thing you want to do, but The other thing to keep in mind is I'm going to use Costco for an example. Costco is selling for around 400 and some bucks a share. I don't have the exact number here in front of me, but let's say that you two years ago, you really fell in love with this company and you passed on it because you just felt like it was too expensive. And then a year later, you decided to take advantage of what you thought happened in March and you got in for $280 a share. And now it's up to 400 and some bucks a share. You made a great return over that period of time because you took advantage of an opportunity that may have presented itself at a particular point in time and you still were able to get in on a great company. It may still have been expensive at that time. The idea that Warren Buffett jumped on American Express is a great example of kind of what we're talking about. He took advantage of a situation that presented itself that caused the price to drop of a fantastic company. And if you looked at the financials from one year to the next, when that oil scandal hit American Express, everything looked fantastic. There was zero change, but people freaked out because they thought that American Express was going to go bankrupt. And if you looked at the whole situation as an overall idea to back up for just a second. So in brief, one of the subsidiaries that American Express owned had a scandal within there with with salad oil. And I'm not going to go into the whole details, but the basic idea is that if this subsidiary declared bankruptcy, that would cause American Express to go bankrupt as an overall company. But it as Warren Buffett quickly determined by looking at the financials, the value of that total value of that subsidiary was less than all the cash that American Express had on their balance sheet in total, not to mention the ability to borrow money, to sell shares. They had lots of resources to be able to cover that liability if it came to pass. Would it hurt? Of course it would hurt, but it would not bankrupt the company. And that's what people were expecting was that American Express was going to go bankrupt. And at the time, they were a fantastic company. Sales were going up. Everything was going great. So he saw an opportunity to jump in on a company that, frankly, in in that time period was expensive. Now, we look at it today and we go, oh my God, that's so cheap. (laughs) But uh, the, the times were different. And so 
the ability for him to take advantage of that is is a fantastic idea. But I think the whole point of what Andrew and I are talking about is you have to take it company by company. You can have guidelines and things you look for in every company, and that's what you should stick to. But as far as like having hard and fast rules about I'm going to only buy things that are 20% of their intrinsic value, that'll work, but you're going to have to wait a long time to find certain companies and you're going to have to be comfortable with not buying anything for a while because some of these companies, you really you might have to wait a while for them to come down. So you have to, again, you have to balance the opportunity cost of whether I want to take advantage of it now, or if I just want to wait and see if, I, if it ever comes into, into the zone that I want. There, there's lots of options to think about all that. Maybe as a rule of thumb, just to start, maybe you say pick a number, 15, 20, whatever it is, but then I'm going to, I'm going to allow myself to break that rule once every three months, once every two months, once every four or five months, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a good place to start. Then you can take it from there and evolve it. Yep, exactly. And the other idea about this too is that you don't have to, you have the choice of how much of a company you want to buy. So it's called position sizing. And so let's say that you really like Apple and you want to take a flyer on it and you want to buy a little bit of it. So instead of putting a thousand dollars into the company, maybe you only put $500 into the company and you use the other money to buy something else that maybe has a bigger margin of safety. That way, if Apple doesn't pan out like you want, you're not out that much but you still took the chance and you still have the other investment that could help balance out maybe Apple not performing like you'd like it to. So it's a great way to, to start to get your feet wet. A lot of big investment firms will do that. They'll find a a target, a company that they really want to learn more about and they'll take a starter position. They'll buy a very small amount to get skin in the game, so to speak. And then they'll start learning more and more about the company. And then they'll start to they'll start to up the position size of the company. And it really comes down to what you're comfortable with. But those are some additional ideas that can help you take advantage of it. And the other thing too, is there's nothing wrong with taking a flyer on something. It's I think it's better to scratch the itch and buy a company like Apple than to completely ignore it and then lose interest in investing and then completely drop out of it and not do it at all. It would be better to have buy one share of the company and then go on to other things than to just not invest at all. So maybe there were a lot of investors who did that with GameStop. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So I think it's a great question. And I think it's a good idea to have different rules of thumb and different guidelines and, and principles that Andrew and I have talked a lot about throughout the, the history of the show. But I think it's also good to be flexible and have an open mind about different companies and the idea of being humble about some of these ideas. We don't know everything and not every investor does and not every investor guru is going to either. There are no perfect people. And as much as we both look up to Warren Buffett, he's made mistakes. He's made poor choices and poor investments that have not done well for him or for the company. And it's just the nature of the beast. But the idea and the thing that's made him so resilient and so outstanding is he's he's hopefully, as he puts it, tried to learn from those mistakes and not repeat them again. But he even says in his letters that he's made mistakes and he's bound to repeat them. And he's human too. So keep that in mind. What gets me 
inspired is how you don't have to know everything to make a lot of money with the market. You can just mm-hmm. have that circle of competence and just be good at what you know, and, and it can do a lot of things for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. You could be a generalist or you can be you know specific and learn everything there is to know about airlines, for example. And you could be the expert on airlines and you could do fantastic just buying companies that are airlines and related to that specific field. It could be anything. It could be pharmaceuticals. It could be auto industry. It could be fintech, whatever. But yeah, there's lots of opportunities out there. That's going to do it for us tonight. I guess we'll answer that third question another night. Yeah. These are great ones. Appreciate you guys writing them in. Keep them coming as you always do. We really enjoyed answering them. Hopefully enjoyed listening to them just as much. We did have an idea. So I don't know if we've done like an episode strictly on stock market jargon. And to me, I've gotten to the point where it's really hard for me to know what's jargon anymore and what's like regular English. So if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, we're at Twitter. IFB underscore podcast. IFB underscore podcast. Yes. Okay. Go to IFB underscore podcast and let us know what jargon you want us to explain on the show. And we will feature all of those on an episode. So go ahead and do that. And I'll look forward to hearing from you. Yep. That would be awesome. We would love to help you guys learn some of the jargon and some of the language like we talked about before. Investing is definitely a language and this could definitely help you. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. We appreciate you guys taking the time to write us these fantastic questions. Again, keep them coming. And without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.